We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, the Skin Cox podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, March the 22nd, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend series against the Vanderbilt Commodores, the Gamecocks, do drop two of three, but win a big game on Sunday over Vanderbilt, six to five to snap their six-game losing streak. Guys, I'll break down all three of the games in their entirety. Again, a three to two loss on Friday, five nothing loss on Saturday. Then again, a six to five gutsy win on Sunday afternoon. Guys, we'll break it all down. Talk TSUS series MVP, my slap dick of the weekend. Who's hot? Who's not? What's next? As South Carolina looks to build on that Sunday win over Vanderbilt. Also, guys, we got news and notes to get into, including spring practice getting underway for Shane Beamer, the latest I'm hearing on Frank Martin. We've also got your listener questions, and we do have a fantastic interview, former Gamecocks baseball player D.T. Cromer joining the show, guys. Very excited to chat with him and you guys to hear that conversation, guys. Before we get into everything, this podcast brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention their companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They are founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out my friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. The show is also brought to you by our friends over at my bookie guys of course march is here march madness all weekend long everyone's bracket is busted the madness has officially begun and it's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the non-stop action 
with my bookie guys you can select the winners from 63 tournament games in the my bookie bracket contest for a chance at ten thousand dollars in cash prizes and it's only a dollar to enter and guys it doesn't matter whether you're filling out multiple brackets betting the national championship winner or simply looking for player and game props my bookie has you covered guys you can sign up today at mybookie.ag and use the promo code gamecocks again that's promo code gamecocks to secure a deposit bonus Bonus up to $1,000. Guys, make sure you use my promo codes. They know that I hooked you up. Again, that's promo code GAMECOX to claim your first deposit bonus. Guys, again, college ball, NBA, NHL, no matter the sport, no matter the minute, MyBookie puts the action in your hands with live in-game betting. Guys, with choice from thousands of lines and odds, you can turn any game day into payday. Guys, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Let's get it. There's a general feeling, not just in baseball, but in life as well, that no matter the circumstance, no matter the adversity you're currently going through, if you continue to fight, if you continue to battle, and you keep a positive attitude along the way, good things are going to happen to you at some point, and a breakthrough is going to happen. And folks, I think that's what we saw on Sunday against the Vanderbilt Commodores in game three of this weekend series. Folks, again, hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I know I did, guys. It was packed, by the way, in Columbia. It, it, this was like the party weekend. Everybody was using this as their, their party weekend for St. Pat's, I guess. And I know the bars down in Five Points did some very, very good business this weekend. I, I saw college students. I was just riding through uh, – riding through downtown and rode through campus. I saw college students literally all over the streets on Saturday. And my Snapchat, my Instagram, everything, all of my social media feeds were just flooded with people out and about, drunk at the bar. Jake's was packed, like everywhere in Five Points was packed. So again, if that was you, if you're feeling hungover on this Monday, if you had a fun weekend, hey, kudos to you. Hope you're all doing well again, guys. Thank you so much tuning in here on this Monday, whether you're, you know, in the office, you're on the commute, you've got the day off, whatever it may be, guys. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Also, I'm in a very good mood. Was able to hang out with my brother over the weekend as guys, as people that tune into the uh, the live watch along stream already know. Uh, t- hung out with the brother all weekend, so saw family and uh, upgraded the MacBook. Guys, this is the first podcast on the new MacBook. So the, the story behind that, I have been working on a 2000, mid-2013 MacBook now since basically the beginning of the business. I think like mm, beginning of 2018, I got this MacBook and obviously it was a huge game changer for me and, and uh, you know, love being on the Mac, but had had it since then, was having storage issues. I think I kind of told you guys that, you know, you, you guys probably heard and 
and notice some different times where the podcast didn't come out on time or we didn't have an interview or we didn't have a show. And I kind of told you guys about different situations when I was dragging, dropping, and deleting things, and I deleted a whole episode, this and that, whatever. So was dealing with those issues. Finally said, you know what? Screw it. Pulled the trigger. We got a brand new MacBook Air. So this is the first show on the MacBook Air. So I don't know maybe it'll sound any better or, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a huge deal for you guys, the consumer, for, for the listener, for whatever. But for yours truly, on my end, on the content production side of things, I can tell you this thing has been an absolute godsend already. Used it all weekend. We've been using it for the daily, the uh, the live watch-alongs, excuse me, but uh, using it now to record the show. So I am very excited. I'm in a good mood because, again, we got a new MacBook. We've upgraded the technology. And, again, the business continues to evolve, continues to upgrade, continues to grow. Heck, we got us a, a chair for the studio, by the way, for those who've been following the vlog. We got us a, a – uh, uh, a desk and a chair. We're feeling kind of legit and official now. So I, I'm in a good mood regards that I look around the studio right now and it's crazy to see just, just how far it's come, man. You know, I, I stopped like late Saturday night. Again, I promise I won't go off on a rant, but I stopped late Saturday night and just kind of looked around the studio and was like, man, like this is, this is kind of wild, you know, compared to when we first moved in and started and we had a, we had a table and two chairs and a flag and that's all we had. And now we've actually got what feels like a, a real setup. So again, it, it's cool. It's a cool feeling. And, uh, yeah, good stuff. But just just glad now we have the technology to where we're going to make things a little bit easier on yours, truly. Like I said, it was kind of brutal there for a minute having to drag and drop and delete and just the the tedious, tedious work of it all. What was just absolutely ridiculous. But again, work smarter, not harder, right? That that's 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 the lesson there. Work smarter, not harder. Make the investment, make it easier on yourself. But again, guys, we've got a lot to get into. So let's go ahead and dive into that again, guys. Thank you all so much tuning in. And also thank you to everyone that tuned in to the live stream watch alongs over the weekend. I had a lot of fun. It was a good time. We actually switched things up for those who tuned in. You already noticed, but I'll tell you guys. And again, I'm not sure when the next one will be because Tuesday we have a home game against the Citadel. And then this weekend, we've got three straight home games against Florida. So I'll actually be at all of those games or at least planning on being at all of them. So no live stream watch alongs for those, but they were a huge success of the weekend. I appreciate everybody that tuned into those. Um, even Sunday guys, at one point we had like over a hundred people tuned in. And again, I switched them up a little bit because, you know, normally I was doing just my reaction and I was watching the game on TV and we didn't want to get in trouble with, with YouTube or get the stream ripped down. But I just started noticing all these different feeds had the game up and I'm like, okay, well, why aren't we doing that? Like, why aren't I doing that? If they're, you know, ask for, you know, you, you can, uh, you know, ask for forgiveness, not for permission. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just kind of say, screw it. And we'll kind of try to roll with it. And so I'm actually using the YouTube stream of somebody else in our stream and I'm watching and, and it made it a lot better. I think as we were able to follow along together. And again, I know you guys appreciated that and enjoyed that. So again, um, we'll continue to do that. That'll be the plan moving forward until we got to make an adjustment. When we do, we'll just make an adjustment. But overall, thank you guys so much tuning in. Again, without further ado, though, I feel like I'm rambling. Let's dive in this series. Again, South Carolina goes into Nashville, loses two out of three, like I predicted, but gets a big, big win on Sunday, guys. Let's talk about this series. Gamecocks losing on Friday, three to two, Saturday, five to nothing, but then winning on Sunday, six to five. And of course, I'm speaking to you guys, coming to you guys a couple of hours after that Sunday win. And it's funny, again, I, I talked about this last week, but it's funny how quickly things can change in baseball because, you know, just one win, just finding a way to win one game makes people feel a completely different way about their team than they felt, let's just say, Saturday or Friday of that same weekend. 
Uh, winning cures all. I mean, it's just bottom line. Winning cures all. Heck, I saw it in the live stream watch along. You know, we had like 50 people, 40 people on Friday, Saturday watching. You start winning, we get 100. I mean, bottom line, just shows winning does cure all. And I start with the Sunday game. Let's start with the positives because we all know what happened Friday and Saturday, right? With the Kumar Rocker, Jack Lighter combo. And I will say this the series did play out basically how I expected with those two starters on Friday and Saturday basically being untouchable. And then, you know, Thomas Schultz, a guy I talked about I thought was very gettable, a guy you could touch up a little bit, and you were able to do that. But after the way Friday and Saturday went down, and I thought, again, Friday was another classic. It was an absolute another classic. I thought this team battled, played really hard. Again, you're going up against Kumar Rocker, and you score the first earned runs off of him this season you find a way to do that you're in that ball game late you know they get a clutch hit late in that game I think the eighth inning or so and and you fall three to two at Vandy on a Friday night that was a typical Friday night SEC baseball game and there's some games where you know you put your best foot forward and their guy is just a little bit better than you and they're just a little better than you that night and you get beat it happens of course we know what happens Saturday with the no hitter and listen, I'm not saying to ever be okay getting no hit because you should never get no hit in college baseball. I talked about that over the weekend. You should never get no hit with aluminum bats and just the way the game has evolved off offensively. I think you should never get no hit, guys. I agree with you there. I really do. And, uh, you know, Jack Leiter, you got to tip your cap. Again, Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter are the best pitchers you are going to see in college baseball. They are the best. They are the best, bottom line. They are the best pitchers you're going to see in college baseball. But moving to Sunday, and again, I, I want to start with the positive. Because first things first, the, ser- you know, the weekend still was not a success. You lost the series, and the goal is to win each and every single series you play, bottom line. But I do want to give credit and give kudos, because for this team to go through what it went through on Friday and Saturday against those two guys, and especially on Saturday, you know, you get no hit. The, the And I don't think these guys sit there and read Twitter and read fan comments and let it dictate the way they feel about themselves or this team or whatever. But I can just tell you from my end, seeing what I was seeing on social media, you know, fans were down and out, done with the season. This team's terrible. We just suck. We got no hit, blah, 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 blah. Same thing, negativity, negativity, negativity. Just this cloud of negative emotion. I could feel it going into the Sunday game. You get no hit in that one. You're getting no hit through the first three innings of the game, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, here we go again. You know, Sunday started off terribly, too. Again, you fall down early in that one. You're like, oh, my God, we're about to get swept again. We're about to lose seven in a row. You know, people think we're never going to win again. The baseball gods, why do they hate us? And something turned. Something turned. That fourth inning, Brady Allen, Braylon Wimmer, all of a sudden go back-to-back home runs. You have life. You have life. And from that point on, you battle, you battle, you battle, you fight, you fight, you fight, you scratch, you claw, you find a way. You battle, you win anyway. And you get a six to five win. Gutsy. Gutsy's the only way to describe that win on Sunday. Gutsy. And again, you don't, you're not, we're not sitting here on Monday celebrating winning one of three. But I will tell you guys this there are a lot of teams that are going to go into that ballpark this season against Vanderbilt and get swept. A lot of them. Uh, There's going to be a fair amount for sure. And so for South Carolina to go out there on Sunday, you know, again, I I talked about if you're going to lean on the fact, not making an excuse, 
But if you're going to acknowledge that, you know what, South Ghana, just tip your cap. They ran into rocker and lighter, and, and that's what happened. Well, then you better go out there on Sunday, is what I said. You better go out there on Sunday and score some runs and prove that right. And you were able to do that. You know, I thought, again, starting out with, you know, your lineup comes through in regards to, you know, starting with Allen and Wimmer, getting things going for you. Um, and then you're able to, what was it, nine hits, I believe? I'm pulling it up now. You had not yet yeah, nine hits on the day. You know, you're able, you're able to put up that two spot in the fourth, two spot in the fifth, then two spot in the eighth. You know, when you're, you're still down with six outs to go, top of the eighth, you're down five to four against, you know, one of their better relievers, I might add. You know, that kid that you scored off of, that Luke Murphy kid, pretty damn good in his own right. I know those were Maldonado's runs, but you're able to get to Luke Murphy a little bit. Get the runs off of him. Again, I, I just think you can't say enough about this team. And I never questioned the fight. I, I never questioned the resiliency. And, guys, listen, like I said in the beginning, baseball's just a game where things are, you're going to get hot, you're going to get cold. Things are going to go your way. Things are not going to go your way. There's going to be times where you feel like the baseball gods are picking on you. And you don't know why. That's how it felt, right? We're like, what? everything we hit is going to somebody. Like what, what, like, what is going on? We can't catch a break. We could not catch a break is what it felt like. It's the belief in baseball, and you have to believe this as a competitor. I don't even care what the sport is, but as a competitor, as a, as a, as a, as a human being that's fighting through life, you know, when things aren't going your way and you run into some adversity, you keep fighting, you keep grinding, you keep battling, and you just believe and you keep a positive attitude and you just believe that at some point things are going to break the other way. They're going to break your way at some point. You don't know when, you don't know how long it's going to take, but at some point they're going to break your way. And that's what you saw this team do. That's what you saw this team do. Again, it's not a successful weekend. You lose two out of three, whatever. Your goal is always to win the series. But I'm proud of the way this team fought to get that Sunday win. I am. I'm very happy with that. I think it says a lot about this team. And again, what it really means more so is the opportunity now to build momentum. The opportunity to build momentum in the, in the midweek, playing to Citadel on Tuesday. The opportunity to, you know, welcome Florida into your ballpark this weekend. And now you have a chance to say, hey, maybe we can take two or three from these guys. You know, I, I saw some fans over the weekend saying, you know, oh, it only gets tougher from here, man. It only gets tougher from here. That's the scary part. In my mind, I'm thinking, guys, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That leads me to a take, take away from this weekend. Again, the elite pitching, it shined. You know, I, I talked about coming in this weekend, elite pitching. You're going to see the best of the best. And I tried to tell fans, and listen, again, I am not saying be okay with being no hit. Absolutely not. Never be okay with being no hit. You shouldn't. This is college baseball with aluminum bats. You should find a way to get a hit. Why did South Carolina not try to drop down a blunt? I have no idea. I have no clue. Why did they not try other things? I have no clue. I have no clue. But I also said to keep in mind, guys, that Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, these are big-time arms. And for those that say, oh, it's only going to get tougher from here, and, you know, you face tough pitchers the rest of the way, it doesn't get tougher than what you saw this weekend. It really doesn't. I don't believe that it does. I'm not sitting here saying that South Carolina is not going to struggle against some other Friday night guys this year because there's a lot of really, really good pitchers in this league. There's a lot of quality pitchers in this league. But you're not going to see anybody like what you saw in Rocker and Lighter. You're just not. And those guys shine. You know, again, I don't want to say sit here and admit defeat and be okay with losing. But at some point, you have to tip your cap. You have to tip your cap. You do. 
And those guys were special. I, I don't think there's a they're there. I don't think there's a team in the country that would have beat Jack Leiter on Saturday. I, I really don't believe so. I really don't believe so. Now, with that being said, and even with the win on Sunday, I agree. I think the approaches need to continue to get better. You know, we're seeing a lot of guys come out of their shoes and, and swing for the fences. And I think when you see our guys shorten up and go up there with you feel like an actual approach, you know, and, and try to produce runs, the home runs are going to come. We have guys with power. You know, you saw that on Sunday. Brady Allen, Braylon Wimmer, boom, boom. The home runs are going to come. That's, they're going to happen. But just having an approach, having an idea, and being able to make adjustments minute bat, that's the biggest thing for this group. Especially when you're going up against elite pitchers like you saw over this weekend. But just acknowledging, like I said, guys, that the guys you saw this weekend, the guys you've seen the last two weekends, I mean, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, Ty Madden, those are the top three prospects by D1Baseball.com, guys the 2021 class you're the top dudes you're not going to see anybody better you're not going to see anybody better so again the elite pitching shine for sure like i said guys the baseball gods finally turning that sunday game boy we did need it didn't we We did need i thought the thing too that sparked this team i thought the thing that really sparked this team mark kingston getting ejected in the sunday game i mean Talk about taking one for the squad. If you guys didn't really understood what happened, because I had a lot of people ask me on social media, Chris, you know, what did he say? What happened? This is what I I picked up on that I think happened. The dugout was chirping about balls and strikes. And the umpire said something to the group. He said something to the dugout. And Mark Kingston did not appreciate that when he went out there, the umpire continued to chirp at the dugout instead of talk to him. Because you could hear him say very clearly to the umpire, you talk to me, you don't talk to my team. So he was defending his guys. And I think that's really what sparked, and then I, I thought it was a pretty quick trigger on when they threw him out. But you could definitely tell it fired at the dugout. And, you know, I know with the SEC rules and college baseball rules, you know, it's, it's not really something that is encouraged as far as, you know, managers getting tossed because I think he'll probably miss the Tuesday game against Citadel, I, I would think. Um, or at least I, I believe. I'm not 110% sure, but um, he's probably going to have to miss a little bit of time for that ejection. But the spark it brought to this team was, was undeniable. I mean, there's no question. I thought that was incredible. Um, you you got to talk about the Carolina pitching staff. And again, since I'm, I'm kind of focusing on that Sunday game, again, why don't we just focus on the positives? But since we're focusing on that Sunday game, I'll first start with Brett Carey. Um, incredible. And I know there's been a lot of questions from people regarding, oh, Chris, do you change his role? Do you move to the starting rotation? You know, what do you do with him? And again, I think that's a conversation we can save for a later date because I think that's something that, you know, the coaching staff will evaluate and, and, and they'll, they'll determine where he best fits in this rotation and where he fits on this staff. But Brett Carey, I mean, what a job. An absolute stud. An absolute stud. You know what? He might not have the best stuff on this staff. I don't think he does. You know, he, he might not have the best stuff, and he might not throw the, the hardest fastball. You know, he's not throwing 97, 98, but the dude just knows how to pitch, and he's a competitor, and he's a bulldog, and he loves the moment. And you saw that on Sunday. Again, five and two-thirds, perfect. Perfect. Basically perfect innings. Ten strikeouts. 
in five and two-thirds against a, a very talented Vanderbilt lineup, I might add. Again, I, I don't think this is a Vandy lineup that is a juggernaut, which I don't want to take anything away from our pitchers, and I want to talk about them more in just a second. But to do that against a Vanderbilt lineup in a close game on a Sunday like that, incredible. And then this pitching staff. I mean, listen, guys. This pitching staff is going to give you an opportunity to win a series every single weekend. Every single weekend. From Thomas Farr to Brandon Jordan. Listen, I, I think it's still too early to give up on Julian Bosnick. I know some people do want to give up on him. And again, the stats don't look good yet again. Three and a third, four hits, five runs, five runs. He gave up all five runs, of course. Two walks, six strikeouts. Um, falling behind guys and leaving the breaking ball up is what's killing him right now. But here's the thing. This guy was unhittable for the first 16-plus innings of his career. I mean, this isn't a guy who just all of a sudden forgot how to pitch. He has talent. You know what I mean? This is a kid that, that has it. So I don't think they're going to bail on him, you know, this quickly. I don't think they're going to do so. I mean, I could be wrong. But overall, you know, especially Thomas Farr and Brandon Jordan, you, you saw good things out of your bullpen and, and, and different guys getting opportunities and stuff like that. You know, your pitching staff, the first two days, they did all they could. I mean, Thomas Farr went toe-to-toe with Kumar Rocker. And Brandon Jordan, hey, on any other day against any other team, he might have got a W. So I really still at this point, guys, I still at this point feel really good about your pitching staff. I do. And I think they're going to give you, like I said, a chance to win every single time out, every single week. And it's all about can your hitters do Enough. And again, I thought the approach is, hey, once you saw this lineup not taking on a top five draft pick, you know, I thought you looked a little better. I think the beginning of the Sunday game, you could attribute some to the mental hangover. You know, I, I think those first two games, certainly, how, how could they not take a toll on you? You know what I mean? And uh, your confidence was shot a little bit, you know? Uh, you get no hit. It's hard to have confidence at the plate when you get no hit. But continuing to fight, continuing to battle, you know, maybe adjusting the approaches a little bit, maybe shortening up a little bit, maybe maybe not trying so hard for the home run and just trying to get base hits and trying to manufacture runs. And, you know, taking advantage of Vanderbilt mistakes, too. You know, they had a couple hit-by-pitches. They had a couple of walks. And, you know, when teams do that, really good teams take advantage. Really good teams find a way to make it hurt and take advantage and make it pay and make them pay, I should say. And you did that. And you did that. So overall, you got to find that sweet spot. You got to find that combo of, you know, your pitchers doing their job, your hitters doing their job, and then you have a beautiful marriage. And then you have a really, really good baseball team. My final key takeaway, guys, before we get into um, all of our accolades for the weekend and talk a little bit more about this series, you know, just again, I I talked about this weekend, and again, it, it's still. It went exactly how I picked, for sure, and I wish I was wrong. I wish Sal kind of could have found a way to either win that Friday game or, or what have you and win the series and all that. But just, it cannot be, you know, emphasized enough how big it is to win that Sunday game. It can't. Just from the mental aspect, again, you lost six in a row, and everybody's piling up on you, even your own fan base, telling you, how bad you are, and how much you suck. And listen, I've been there. I've been on a baseball team, been in a locker room. A lot of us have been in that position. Hell, we've been there in life, you know? Things aren't going well. Things aren't going your way. You're facing losses in your own life, or you're facing adversity. Negative, you know, it's hard not for those negative thoughts 
hard to keep them from entering your, entering your mind and clouding your judgment. You start to maybe believe the lies you tell yourself, like, man, maybe I'm not a very good hitter. <laughs> maybe I can't hit this fastball. Maybe I can't throw strikes. Maybe my stuff's not good enough. And it's this mental game. Like I said, guys, baseball will beat you down if you let it. It can. It is a very, very cruel game. And I think what this team showed on Sunday, the resiliency, the toughness, the grit, the determination, to say to hell with it. Let's battle. Let's win anyway. Let's find a way. We are not going home with a sweep again. We're not doing it. We're not getting swept again to find a way to get the job done despite all the odds. And, again, this is a team that, you know, after you went down four to nothing and you're getting no hit to the first three innings, you hadn't gotten a hit in 15 innings. I mean, could have very easily, and I didn't expect them to, but could have very easily just packed it in. Could have very easily packed it in and said, you know what, ain't our weekend again. We'll get ready for Citadel Tuesday. But I don't think you can overemphasize how big it is for this team, if nothing else, in the mental aspect, to find a way to come back, to be resilient, to get that win, and to just get, give yourself something to feel good about. Like I said, to have the baseball gods break your way. <laughs> to, you know what I'm saying? To feel like you got this monkey off your back. And like I told you guys, from the Carolina baseball aspect inside of things and, and you know, from – for the people in that locker room and the players and the coaches and, and even myself, you know, you, you never want to go into a series saying, oh, you know, we just don't want to get swept. Like, no, the expectations to win every single series. That's why I'm not sitting here like, you know, celebrating here on a Monday. But from the fan perspective, from the analyst perspective and trying to take my bias out of it as much as possible, I can tell you guys this. Not getting swept at Vandy is a very big deal. Because I saw a lot of people freaking out over the weekend, and I had to remind myself this. Guys, I picked this team to go 16-14 and 14 in the SEC, which means I didn't pick them to win every series. Like I told you guys in the preseason, this season's going to be a grind. It's going to be a gauntlet. Like, this is the SEC. This is the toughest conference in all of college baseball. When you were looking at the series in the preseason, of, hey, these are the ones we really feel good about that we think we can win, maybe even sweep. Hey, these are the ones in the middle that are, mm, they're 50-50, should be really, really fun competitive series. And these are the ones at the bottom that are like, you know what? Again, not saying the team's thinking this way because they, they certainly shouldn't. Not saying the coaches are, they certainly shouldn't. But from our aspect, from the, from the analyst perspective, from the whatever, from the angle that we have, there were series you looked at and said, man, those are going to be really, really tough. We're going to be underdogs. Let's just make sure we don't get swept. This was one of those series. Bottom line. And this is probably the toughest series you're going to have all season in SEC play. Bottom With those two arms you faced Friday, Saturday, it's probably the on the road, toughest series you'll have all year. So, again, I, I don't want to sit here. Let's not throw a parade because we – because we won on Sunday and we didn't, we didn't get swept. You know, our expectations and, and, and what we're shooting for are much greater than that, of course. But it still is a very big deal. And again, I think the way you did it, to go out there and battle and show resiliency and show some real character. I mean, show some real character on a Sunday. And again, give yourself something to feel good about. Now you have some renewed confidence. 
you're back in the win column. You don't have to worry about some silly losing streak that everybody's talking about. Now you come into this week re-energized, refocused. You're feeling good again. Take on Citadel Tuesday, Florida this weekend. Never know what could happen. Momentum heading into a big, big home week for Carolina baseball. And again, it's a funny game, man. Who knows? Who knows? All right, let's move into TSUS Series MVP, guys. And this one to me is a no-brainer. This one's easy. It's got to go to Brett Carey. What he did on Sunday, unbelievable. You know, coming in at a really important time of the game when, when you know, you didn't know what was going to happen, right? And, and there was a lot of uncertainty. And keeping, like I said, this isn't the best lineup South Carolina's going to face all season or anything, but it's still Vanderbilt. I mean, it's still Vandy. they got good players all over the field. And to keep them at bay, the way that Brett Carey did, like I said, five and two-thirds innings pitched, three hits, zero runs, zero earned, no walks, and 10 strikeouts. Incredible stuff. I mean, we, we all know what Brett Carey brings to the table. We all know the type of player, the type of arm that he is. But he just proved it yet again yesterday. I mean, ice in his veins, you know, Mr. Clutch, and again, it's not like this guy has overpowering stuff. I wouldn't even say he has the best stuff on the on the roster. You know, not even close. But he's a bulldog. He fills up the strike zone. He throws strikes. He locates. His stuff moves. And he puts the pressure on you. He comes right at you every single time. So, again, TSUS Series MVP, no question, Brett Carey for his performance in the Sunday win over Vandy. Let's talk about slap dick of the weekend. So <laughs> I didn't really have a gripe with anyone on the field for Vanderbilt. And, and I didn't, I didn't even personally have a gripe with these guys, but there were just so many people that reached out about them that I felt like I had to put them in this slot. Now, and I, and I will say this to you guys credit, I can see why. And my slap dick of the weekend are the Vanderbilt announcers that were, that were calling the game on SEC Network Plus all weekend. I, I saw more tweets and more comments and, and just more commentary about the announcers than I feel like I've seen in any series in quite a while. And I don't know. When I watch games, guys, I really just kind of tune it out. I, I'm, I'm so locked in and focused on the game. And they've got to say something really just – outlandish for me to like to 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 get a rise out of me you know what I mean like it's it's the local SEC network plus stream like it's gonna be there guys like I think a lot of people didn't realize that you know the main dude calling the game which that was the one everybody was was complaining about his voice and everything I'm sure he's like some Vanderbilt student or something and then the other guy you know played baseball at Vanderbilt so it's like no kidding they're on the Vandy side of things right like like no kidding but I listen to them more and more, and I'm like, you know what? I, I kind of get it. I kind of understand it. So, fairly unfairly, man, the Vandy announcers, they just kind of earned it, man. The, the Gamecock fan base is, you know, I, I've, I've, uh, the, the verdict, is, verdict is in. And, unfortunately, guys, the Vandy announcers, you guys are the slap dicks of the weekend. So, congratulations on winning that award. All right, let's move into who's hot, who's not, guys. Let's start with who's hot. And – Again, this is another one that I kind of went back and forth on, and I'm going to pull his season stat for this. And I, I just feel like he needs he needs recognition because back-to-back weekends now, this dude has gone toe-to-toe with a top-five draft pick, and that is Thomas Farr, of course. 
two and one to this point this season, a two one five ERA in twenty nine and a third innings pitched. He's given up just seven earned runs, ten walks, and thirty nine strikeouts. Yet again on Friday, guys, the stuff was fantastic. He went six innings pitched, four hits, three runs, three earned, three walks, nine strikeouts. And again, he went blow for blow with with Kumar Rocker. And unfortunately, he got the loss. Um, he did get the loss. That was his run that scored. But, um, you know, I, I think it, it's, again, this is a guy who's going to give you a chance to win every single time he takes the ball. I mean, the stuff is there. The demeanor is there. The moxie is there. He's not intimidated. Um, you know, I, I feel really good every time Thomas Farr gets the ball, bottom line. And I just love to see that, again, he's not intimidated because, again, back-to-back weekends, you're going into games where they're talking about, oh, Ty Madden, oh, Kumar Rocker. Thomas Farr's like, hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm a stud. I can pitch as well. And he's doing it. And it's a lot of fun to watch, and you just flat-out love to see it. And, uh, you know, the stuff speaks for itself, man. The stuff speaks for itself when it comes to Thomas Farr, and I, I think South Carolina's going to win a lot of games with him on the bump this season. So, again, who's hot, Thomas Farr? Who's not? Man, this is one I did not expect. And I, I didn't even know this number until Sunday. And, and this number could be off by one or two at-bats, by the way. But who's not is Colin Burgess. Because, folks, he is hitless in his last 23 at-bats. That, my friends, is a cold streak. I mean, that, I, honestly, I don't remember him getting a hit since – the Clemson series? Like, I, I really don't remember his last knock. I really don't. And, again, I'm not trying to pick on Burgey. Love Burgey to death. Uh, love what he's doing behind the plate for you. I mean, he's an absolute weapon back there. But at the plate, whew, man, I mean, stats speak for themselves, man. Hitless in the last 23. Um, you know, and I, I think he's a guy that will figure it out. I think he'll get it going. I think he's a guy that can still help this lineup. But, whoo. I don't know what's got to get going on, man. I don't know if he needs to go from batting gloves to no batting gloves to one batting glove to, to I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, Colin Burgess, hitless in his last 23 ABs. All right, what's next for South Carolina baseball? Gamecocks, like I said, guys, tomorrow night, Tuesday at Founders Park, taking on the Citadel, which should be a really, really fun rematch from that game just a couple of weeks ago when the Gamecocks went into Charleston, and we all know how that thing unfolded with the dramatics and the and – the, uh, you know, the the back and forth, the jawing, if you will, you know, with their relief pitcher and all that. And that was a really fun, tight game. So I'm sure that'll be a lot of fun. And then the weekend series this weekend against the Florida Gators. Again, like I said, guys, winning that Sunday game, getting that momentum. Now you got four straight home games. Again, there's still issues with this team. There's still things to fix. And that's, that's going to be the case all season long, guys. That's baseball. You never stop working on things. You never stop improving. Again, I think the offensive approach, it still needs to get better. You, you struck out 10 times on Sunday. You struck out – how many times you strike out? 26. You struck out 43 times in three games this weekend. And, again, you can attribute that to the pitching you faced on Friday, Saturday, sure. But that's got to get better. So there are improvements that have got to be made all across the board with this team. But, again, like I've said before, the one thing this team does have, it has character. It has resiliency, it has battle, it has fight, and I still believe it has really, really good baseball players. I really do believe that. And maybe we finally saw something turn on Sunday. Maybe we finally saw the baseball gods come back in our favor. 
And now you start to build some confidence. Now you start to build some momentum. Maybe you start to get some guys in your lineup going. You know, I thought Brennan Malone had some good swings this weekend. Maybe you get him going, some other guys. And you get back more so to the form that we saw in the first 11 games. Again, I think this is the best way to put it for, God, for, for you fans. This is the best way to put it for everybody. Is South Carolina 11-0 good? No. Are they 0-6 bad? No. They're somewhere in the middle. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle for this team. It's about getting back to that truth and playing your best brand of baseball and continuing to fight and continuing to stay positive. And who knows? Maybe taking advantage this week in a big, big week. Maybe you can go 3-1, and 4-0. and You never know. So, again, a big week upcoming for Gamecocks baseball. Very exciting stuff, again, especially after getting that Sunday dub. We'll see what they can do with it. We'll see what they can do with it. Again, momentum is a fickle mistress, like I told you guys before. All right, let's move into news and notes, guys, and then we'll get into your listener questions and our interview. Um, really quickly, I do want to touch on the start of spring practice. Obviously, Saturday, Shane Beamer and company getting spring ball underway. Nothing crazy big to report in regards to spring practice. Um, you know, I'll read you guys the quote that Shane Beamer had. He said, quote, it was awesome being out here, having a chance to get back out on the field with the guys and doing what we love was awesome. And honestly, I was really impressed with, and it's a credit to our staff, the efficiency and organization. It didn't like, we didn't know what we were doing. It was really crisp and the effort was good. Obviously there's a lot to clean up, <clears throat> but we're excited to get B back out here. So overall, you know, you like what you heard in regards to the first day of spring practice. And I, I don't think there's anything you know, really big to draw. You know, it's so funny, guys. And I'm not trying to knock anybody or, or, or slam anybody or whatever. But, you know, I, I see people on social media. I, I know we're all excited, but people putting up clips of like Luke Doty and like, they're like, oh, man, look at his mechanics and look at his footwork and look at his throwing motion. I'm like, dude, he literally just flicked the ball. Like, it's so funny how, especially in football, people love to get these short little clips and like, and like overanalyze and, and just, and just try to dissect it as much as they can. And like, you know, it, it, I put this on Twitter. It's, it's officially, he's in the best shape of his life season. Like, I saw somebody say that about Ortre Smith. Ortre Smith's in the best shape of his life. Like, bro, it is, it is March the 22nd, my guy. Like, I'm excited, too. I'm excited the Shane Beamer era is underway. You know, they have the day off today, and they'll get back after tomorrow. And, of course, you know, we'll get closer and closer to the spring game, which is April the 24th. But it's spring ball. You know, what I really wish for is, of course, this team to, you know, get acclimated to Shane Beamer, his culture, what he expects, what he demands, you know, get better, of course, but also stay healthy, get, do all those things. And you've had a successful spring in my mind, but you know, <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I see people on Instagram, like, Oh, look at the mechanics, look at the footwork. It's like, bro, he, he just flicked the ball. I mean, I, how can you tell all that from that one video? But again, I love the excitement. I love the buzz and everything, but it sounds like a successful spring for Shane Beamer and company. Also, guys, one quick note, one last thing. Um, the latest on Frank Martin. I, I mean, listen, I, I really thought that, you know, as I sit here on Sunday afternoon, we've still heard nothing. I really thought that we would know something by now, and, and we obviously do not. And uh, I, I will tell you guys this, though. The latest that I'm hearing is that he's not coming back and that South Gun is assisting him in finding another job and that, uh, you know, that's kind of the way things are going down. If you guys remember the Chad Holbrook era and the way that that ended, how they they – you know, how he, how he left or they mutually parted ways, I think it's a similar situation, which, again, is still, it's still shocking to me. I can't believe he's not coming back or that they don't want him back, but that's just what I'm hearing. Again, 
at this point, is it anybody's guess? Maybe so. Maybe so. But, um, you know, only time will tell at this point. Again, I, I think I keep hearing, oh, we'll know by this date. Oh, we're going to know by that date. Oh, we're going to know by that date. It's like, dude, I don't think anybody knows anymore. I don't think anybody knows anymore or, or knows what to expect in regards to, you know, Frank Martin and his, his future at South Carolina. So we'll see what happens. I'd I, I like to say we're going to hear something this week, but I think I said the same thing last week as well. So who knows? So, all right, let's go ahead and dive into your listener questions, guys. And it's funny, most of these listener questions came before we won the Sunday game. So I feel like the, the tone and the mood of these would be a lot different if they had gotten them in late. But let's see, Saltwater Swag says, what's missing in baseball? Right now, again, I, 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 don't, think, I don't think really anything is truly totally missing. I'm not saying this is a perfect team by any means, and there's not a lot of things you don't need to improve, especially at the plate. But I think this is just a team, guys, that has been going through the gauntlet. That's what I tried to say over and over again. And it's why you're not going to see me, you know, jump off the ledge. That's why you didn't see me jump off the ledge during Texas. That's why you didn't see me jump off the ledge Friday and Saturday at Vanderbilt. It just, it's a long season and you just have to acknowledge you are playing the best competition on your schedule. You know, you finally got a break on Sunday, and what do you know? You win the game. It's, it's really not a surprise. So what is this team missing? I don't know that it's missing anything, but it does have a lot of areas it needs to improve. But overall, it's just about continuing to fight and battle. I think this team has the players to get the job done. Krusty Andy, top three position predict. Krusty uh, Andy says top three position group predictions moving into the season. Uh, position group predictions. My first prediction is that Luke Doty will be starting quarterback. Second prediction is Marshawn Lloyd will be starting running back. And third prediction is Cam Smith will be DB1. I don't know. There you go. So, uh, Young Judah 5. Do you think EJ Jenkins is better suited as a tight end or wide receiver? I mean, it really depends on, you know, his skill set in a way. You know, is he a good blocker? You know, what's his speed like? I mean, obviously, it's six foot seven. This dude is a monster. And also, what does wide receiver look like for you? So, again, I think he's a guy that could probably do both. I, I definitely heard on Saturday they were working him out at tight end. Um, you know, either way, it's just about getting your best players on the field. It's about getting your playmakers on the field. So, again, what is he better suited at? I mean, listen, I'm not out there at practice. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But with his size, if he can block, it might be the tight end position. So, Monica.Bowers21, what the heck is going on with the baseball team? They have fallen apart. Well, again, that was probably a question before the Sunday game was over, but uh, it's just baseball. It's just baseball, and it's just tough, and you, you run to Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, and that's what happens. Final question here to Cameron Cassidy. Is the Gamecock baseball team in a slump right now or just don't have the talent to compete in the SEC? Again, just a slump, man. Just a slump. I, this team, without a doubt in my mind, has the talent to compete in the SEC. There's no question. There are a lot of teams that are going to go to Hawkins Field this year and get swept, I promise you. And so, I'm not again, I'm not saying let's throw a parade because you won the Sunday game. I'm just saying that acknowledge the fact that you played the number two team in the country. And, I mean, dude, you were, you were a game away from taking the series, a very close game on Friday away from taking that series. So, this team is close. This team is right there. Um, you know, definitely, I think the Florida series is one you look at at home, and now you've won this Sunday game, and you got some momentum. 
You need to take advantage now. That Florida series is one you say at home, hey, we need to go win two out of three. We do. We need to go win two out of three. Bottom line. We need to win two out of three. We've got to take advantage. We've got to find a way to get the job done at home. But I think this team will be fine. I, I think this is still a really quality ball club. And, and uh, you know, I think you saw that on Sunday. Now they've got a little momentum. they got a little confidence. Let's see what they can do with it. All right, guys, that, all right, guys that's going to do it for me. I appreciate you tuning in. Great stuff here on a Monday, but it's not over. We've got a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks baseball player, DT Cromer, guys. Awesome conversation. Um, before we get into that, guys, the interview is brought to you by our friends, of course, over at Manscaped. Guys, flor- flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to mow your lawn. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim the hedges below the belt safely and efficiently. Guys, I'm talking about the ball trimmers, Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience using promo code T-S-U-S, guys. That's T-S-U-S. You're going to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Guys, join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. By the way, yours included in that 2 million. They're here to make sure your balls are smooth and smelling nice. After all, it is time for some spring cleaning, guys. Spring is sprung. Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready, guys. And again, we all know what it's like when you don't have the right tools. When you're down there, you're trimming, you're cutting, and you cut yourself, you nick yourself, you're bleeding, it stings. It is just flat out no bueno, guys. Leave that behind. Leave that in 2020. Manscaped are the global leaders in men's blow the waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their perfect package. 3.0. Guys, this legit package has precision engineered tools for your family jewels and will help unlock your confidence and best self this spring. And guys, again, I talk about it all the time, but the perfect package 3.0 kit. It comes with the essential lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Guys, this third generation trimmer, it features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce shaving actions. Again, I use it all the time. This thing is extremely comfortable, guys. It's changed the way that I trim. Manscaped obsesses over technology to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience, and they only use the best ingredients in their formulations. Guys, inside the perfect package, you're also going to find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing ball deodorant moisturizer. It's starting to get hot outside, guys, and this is so crucial so your balls will stop sticking to your leg. That is, that is literally the worst thing. That's terrible. Don't deal with that. Don't live with that. Use the Crop Preserver. And as their treat, you're going to find the Crop Reviver as well, guys, which, which is going to keep your balls smelling fresh, just like the spring flowers. You got to love these ad reads. You, you got to love it. Just like spring flowers. Love that, guys. Um, on top of the lawnmower 3.0 and formulations, Manscaped has thrown in two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which again, I swear by, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Guys, your comfort is going to be next level all over. Guys, again, this is the perfect package for your perfect package. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code TSUS. Guys, again, that's TSUS at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with code TSUS at manscaped.com. Guys, it's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you later. All right, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks baseball player, DT Cromer. All right, joining us in the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 1990 to 1992. During his career, he hit 298 for the Gamecocks with 14 home runs, 85 RBIs, 
and 22 stolen bases. He was named All-SEC in 1992 and was drafted by the Oakland Athletics in the 11th round of the 1992 MLB draft. In 2000, he made his MLB debut with the Reds, played 85 games for them in this, over the course of 2000 and 2001, and hit 308 with seven home runs and 20 RBIs during his time in the show, guys. Very pleased to be joined by former South Carolina outfielder D.T. Cromer. D.T., appreciate you taking the time in. It is a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, man, I'm glad to. It's an honor for you to ask me. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So, DT, something very interesting, by the way, before we really get going, because I want to talk about, you know, you're from Lexington and your path to South Carolina, but something I realized, you are the first South Carolina baseball player, baseball alum that I've talked to that has been pre-Ray Tanner era. And that isn't to make you feel bad or anything, but I think it's really interesting because, like, most of the South Carolina baseball history you talk, it feels like Ray Tanner is all of South Carolina baseball history. But people forget you know, counter baseball was a thing before Coach Tanner was there. And you played under June's Reigns, um, who obviously was a great manager in his own right. But talk about the recruiting process for you again. You choose South Carolina. You know, you're from the local area. And I know I, I would imagine the the landscape of Gamecock baseball was a little bit different uh, back then than it is now, of course. But just talk about the recruiting process like for you again, being a standout in the in the local area and choosing to stay home and go to South Carolina. Yeah, like you said, it was a lot different back then. And uh, before Coach Reigns, it was Coach Richardson. And, uh, mm. you know, South Carolina baseball in the 70s was legendary. And in the 80s, it had a you know a little stretch where it, you know, tapered off a little bit. Um, but uh, my recruiting process is probably different than most because my oldest brother, Tripp, was recruited. He was three years ahead of me. So Tripp was recruited, uh, played three years. And Burke, my other brother, was a year ahead of me. So when I started getting recruited, they both were already playing at USC. So my recruiting visits, yeah, my dad actually signed pro out of high school and uh, was okay. going to Clemson, but was going to Clemson to play baseball. So probably nobody knows that and signed a football <laughs> scholarship at Citadel. But uh, yeah, Trent was there, Burt was there, my two older brothers. So there wasn't a whole lot of recruiting that Coach Reigns had to do. I think mm -hmm. the only time he saw me play was a basketball game in high school because um, it was kind of a done deal. And then uh, my youngest brother, Brandon, was coming to South Carolina as well. Mm. But he was a uh, first-round pick out of high school, so he never made it. So, um, you know, it was just where I, my brothers were. I went down the weekends, had fun before I got there, and just knew that was where I wanted to play. But it was just uh, – baseball was completely different back then. Mm. Well, I I'm just curious, when you got there, though, like what was the landscape of Carolina baseball? I mean, was it – because – like I said, when I think of South Carolina baseball, and we talk Ray Tanner and the, you know, the establishing the program from when he got there to going to Omaha, it felt like every other year. And then, of course, culminating with the back to back national titles. And, and I guess how we think of Carolina baseball today. I mean, I would still imagine the program was thought of in a very like high, high standing, correct? I mean, the, the, there's still a very, there was still a very proud tradition up to that point. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of great players that came through. And, yeah. I think my last year we finished 15th or 16th in the country, mm. and uh, it was different. All you had back then were regionals. You know, we ended up in Miami for regional and got knocked out the last game before going to the World Series. Um, but Coach Reigns did a great job. Coach Canner just kind of came in and took everything to another level. Um, but the atmosphere at Sarge Fry was unbelievable when people came in to play us. Um, we were thought of as one of the you know best baseball environments. You had the third base hecklers and. Uh, my freshman year, Wichita State came in to play us, and they had just won the national championship um, the year before. So, you know, it, the, the different thing people, a lot of people forget is we're in the Metro Conference. So my first two years, we were Metro playing Florida State, Southern Miss, Louisville, 
Virginia Tech, and then we moved to the SEC my junior year. And um, that's, I think, kind of where I think the program started making a jump to the next level. Yeah, for sure. And, and you, uh, you know, you hit the ground running when you got there, DT, 1990, your freshman season. You hit 325, played in 57 games. Um, just talk about the, the quick transition for you. you know, what, what do you attribute to that? Your game was obviously ready for that college level. And uh, like I said, you hit the ground running. You know, wh- what do you think uh, made the transition so easy for you? I wouldn't say it was easy. Um, I just think, you know, I was an athlete. I played all four sports and I was competitive. So um, the outfield wasn't very strong that year. So I was able to get a chance in the outfield and uh, play every day. And so that gives you time you know, they have the ups and downs because with hitting, it comes and goes. And so it was just kind of being at the right place at the right time. And uh, my sophomore year, I hurt my shoulder uh, preseason and uh, kind of just messed the whole year up. I couldn't throw and mm-hmm. it messed my swing up, kind of a sophomore slump. And then came back my junior year and had another pretty good year, but hurt my shoulder again. So I got drafted that year when I couldn't even throw, kind of as a DH, hoping my rotator cuff would, would heal back. And, and it did, you know, about after the first year. Um, but, you know, stepping in back then, all I remember was everything moved really fast. Um, you know, the pitching seemed, you know, quicker. And so the key to being a good player that I didn't figure out till I was probably 24 was how to slow the game down mm. and make it easier. And if you can never figure that out, baseball is a tough game that can beat, beat breaks off of you. Mm. No, for sure. Now, back to Coach Reigns, DT, for those that, you know, I'm one of those that really don't know much about him. Obviously, didn't get to watch his era of South Carolina baseball. Just – Kind of talk about what what made him successful. What type of coach was he? Was he more of the player coach, more of a disciplinarian? Like, what were the characteristics of Coach Reigns? He was definitely a player's coach. Um, you know, back then it was, like I said, different. I think for practice, he would just lob grapefruits up there and tell us to see how far <laughs> we could hit it. And that was our batting practice. You know, it wasn't a whole lot of, you know, mechanical. There was no video analysis, no, you know, hit tracks. It was show up, you know, hit some BP, take some ground balls, and, um, you know, when he let us, you know, be who we were. I mean, he was a player's coach that uh, wouldn't say we had free reign, but uh, it was it was a fun team. You know, we like to have a lot of fun. Um, you know, five points. You know, most of our team was pretty familiar with it, and that's probably why <laughs> we didn't get quite as far as we should have. But it was a good group of guys, and Coach Reigns was unbelievable to play for. And um, John Sullivan, Sully was assistant, and then uh, we had a couple of different pitching coaches. But you know, it was just so different. I mean, I found an old home video the other day of, you know, a game was going on, and I think I was getting ready to pinch hit, and I was walking down by the old uh, volley, uh, racquetball courts, mm. and my brother was still in high school, picked up a video camera, and he's videoing me, and I'm in uniform with a game going on in the background, and I'm sitting there showing my son. I was like, things have changed a little bit. You know, it's just so much more, you know, serious now. Right, uh, right. You know, it's just it's a different game that it was just more laid back, and and cutting up, having fun. So he, but Coach Reigns was a great coach and made it made it a lot of fun to play for. Now, something that's always been intense and serious is the Carolina Clemson rivalry. It's I, I think uh, I think Mike Gillespie of ABC Columbia posted a video uh, that week this year. I think it was from like the '80s of somebody getting plunked in the head or something. And I'm like, my God, like it was. You know, the intensity has never gone anywhere in that rivalry, but you were a part of it. And of course, having family that went to South Carolina and you had the history, and I'm sure that meant a lot to you. Talk about the Carolina Clemson rivalry again. We know it today is, I say it's the best rivalry in all of college baseball. What was it like then? And again, I'd imagine, has it lost? I mean, was it any different? I have to think the intensity was just as high then as it is now. 
Oh, it definitely was. And I think a lot of it stems from football. You know, anybody yeah. that grew up in South Carolina grew up either hating Carolina or Clemson. And, <laughs> and so to finally be able to, to be there and compete against Clemson, you know, it was intense. And, and you know, you knew a lot of the kids that you, know, you played against in high school. And um, back then we did a three-game series, you know, one in Columbia, one in Clemson. I think we might have played one at the Greenville Brave Stadium. But so it was a full weekend series. We'd go to Clemson, spend the night. Um, but it was intense. You know, I, I don't remember. I, I was telling David another story. It's the only thing I remember about Clemson, again, how different it is. When we had a, a somehow a, mid, a midweek game, Coach Reigns was driving a minivan. We drove up in minivans, and Coach Reigns was driving the minivan back, and we had a bad game, got beat. And he pulls into McDonald's, I think, to get, get us food on the way back. And he was so so mad that the food was late. And the guy that just threw it out the window and took off home. And we, you know, I was like, Dave, you imagine Coach Kingston driving a minivan, pulling up to McDonald's after the game. And so that's bad, but that's kind of what I remember about Clemson. Um, but it was fun. It's, you know, the rivalry was still the same. And, you know, split up now where they only played three games. So that's a little different. But, um, you know, a lot – a lot of the guys now that I'm still friends with, it. Shane Monahan and some of the guys that I really didn't like back then. Mm. You go into per, I think pro ball, I had three clumps of pitchers and ended up getting drafted by the A's the same year I did. So, mm. um, but it was a great series and intense. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, finally getting two wins this year was big for us. Yeah, no, definitely it was. I, I want to talk about your 92 season, DT, because obviously named all SCC. And like you said, I guess that would have been the first season you guys were in the SEC and, and you balled out that year. Uh, hit 333, seven homers, 29 RBIs. You also added 14 stolen bases. Like you said, you were an athlete. You were a well-rounded player in the outfield. Um, just overall, I'd imagine at that point, you know, it's your money year. It's your junior season. We all know how important that, that year is for baseball players and, and for the drafts and everything. And it just sounds like it kind of all, all clicked for you in that 92 season. It did because, like I said earlier, my sophomore year I was hurt and yeah. I got hurt again beginning of my – uh, junior year, so I had the DH my junior year, and uh, I was hitting the ball pretty good. And we, you know, I wasn't a leadoff guy, but I remember Coach Sullivan. We were at Vanderbilt, and he told Coach Reigns, Cromer's hitting the ball, you know, he's getting on base. Why don't we lead him off? And so, from that point on, you know, they moved me to the leadoff spot, and um, it was a good year. And I knew that my goal was to play, you know, pro ball. And, and so, you know, with having an injury to my shoulder, and I got drafted 11th round, you know, I just felt like it was time to you know, if you want to give it a shot, you don't want to wait till you're too old. And, um, but yeah, it just came together that year, you know, obviously jumping to the SEC, it was new for us. And, you know, Vanderbilt wasn't that good back then. I think mm -hmm. Georgia was struggling. Um, gosh, I don't remember who, who was good, but I mean, Florida was always dominant with pitching. Right. We went out to Arkansas. So it was all new and fun because we hadn't played a lot of those teams. And uh, that year we had a lot of really good bats. We just didn't have pitching. And we went down to Miami and, you know, got beat out by Charles Johnson and, you know, Miami to go to the, you know, the World Series. But, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, but I just knew it was time, you know, when I got drafted, I was like, shoot, they drafted me. I got a broke arm, so I might as well give it a shot. And, <laughs> and you know, I think I was a late bloomer in college. I was just an athlete. And, right. you know, I think they brought in my junior year one guy to talk about, you know, the middle part of the game. And so that was just completely new to us. And so once I got drafted by the A's, you know, they brought in, you know, sports psychologists and, you know, gave us the book, uh, The Mental Game of Baseball, and, and our sports psychologist wrote it. So that part really opened my mind up to understanding what it takes. The most of the games, you know, played up in your head, and, and, and that's what helped me make kind of the jump to the next level to become a better hitter. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say it sounds like with you, it's you had all the tools, but just literally putting it all together and, and understand, kind of mastering the game mentally was the biggest jump for you. It was, and it took me a long time. I mean, I went into uh, pro ball, and gosh, I, you know, I was 28 when I finally made it. Um, rode a lot of buses and got passed over a lot with the A's, you know, from, you know, and again, I, my priorities were a little different back then. You know, I tell my son, it's open. I was like, hey, man, make smart decisions because, you know, for me getting drafted, part of it was like, man, I felt like I was a traveling rock star. Let's, let's go out and have fun. And, yeah. you know, so there were certain things that I would look back that I wish I would have done a little different. But, you know, once I started to mature and understand what it took, you know, to become that player, um, you know, my numbers jumped and things, I started figuring it out. But then still, you know, I think one year I hit 330 with 30 homers, drove in 130 runs, stole 30 bases and never got called up that year. You know, 40 doubles, 10 triples and got named, you know, all kinds of, but we had Jason John be in front of me, Mark McGuire's in front of him. And so it was, you know, it was tough. And that happened every year. And that's one thing I never got promoted during the season in the minor leagues my whole career. I mean, I got called up and down from AAA, the big leagues a lot, but so it was tough. I mean, that's what you know, I tell kids, if you want to play pro ball, especially now, it's not an easy life, you know, especially with the, the players coming from all around the world that, um, you know, it's competitive and, and it's not fun. The ballparks are nicer than what we played in, but, you know, it's a business and, and you know, you got one shot at, shot at it, you better give it everything you got because uh, – it's tough. But yeah, I figured it out. You know, I think I was my third year pro ball with A's. And, you know, that was the year I got hit, actually got hit in the face with a ball that shattered my eye socket, broke my nose, um, had to ride a bus 10 hours after the game, you know, with my face you know, about to fall off. And, and doctor said, you either get a steel plate put in or you play with a, a shield over your face the rest of the year and then give it a shot. And I, was, I knew that if I had surgery, my career was over. So, I put a fiberglass shield on my helmet and wore one in the field. And I think the last two months of the season, I hit about 20 home runs. And from then on, I, you know, I kind of figured it out. So I think that was kind of a God test thing to figure out how bad I wanted it. And so, you know, that was kind of, I think, the turning point. Yeah, I was going to say, again, 92, you get drafted 11th round by the Oakland Athletics. And, of course, the grind begins. Um you know, like you said, the minor league grind again. You're somebody, like you said, you stuck it out all the way till 28. Yeah, that that is a that's a journey. I mean, that, that is that is a journey for sure. And uh, you know, everybody gets told at some point they can't play or whatever, and some guys kind of, you know, hang the cleats up on their own because, like you said, it's it's not a life that's. You know, I, I have a lot of guys. I'm sure you maybe you see some of them, the guys that are on that grind right now. You know, guys that played at South Carolina that you know as recent as a couple of years ago and are currently in the middle of that middle that or that uh that minor league grind and they talk about it you know the day in day out process and the bus rides and the the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and it's it's not all this glory that when people think of oh you're a professional baseball player it's like well not exactly yeah but not um you know but again it definitely sounds like for you what I'll, i'll ask you this what were your biggest takeaways and things that you learned that you feel like helped you the most you know, at that, when you finally did get the call, I feel like if nothing else, just having perspective and gratitude when you got the call, you're like, you're not going to waste a single moment or take a single day for granted when you finally get that chance. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's it. That's a good, you know, a piece of it. Um, for me, it was just being able to play the game comfortable, hmm. being able to go on the field and relax and have confidence and, you know, and, and to just help the game slow down and, and knowing there's going to be ups and downs and, and, you know, and, and so 
battling through it, I think I had a vision of, of playing in the big leagues. And so no matter what happened, as long as you keep that in your mind that that's the goal, then you're going to fight through. Because if you focus day to day, you know, on the games and the bus rides and the fact you don't have any money and you're eating peanut butter and jelly and um, it's a rough life. Then, then if you focus on the negatives, you're never going to make it. So you just have to know that the end result is what you're there for. And um, when I finally got the call, it was uh, it was surreal. I mean, I would have never guessed in a million years how that would have played out and happened. But it was it was crazy and you know luckily I didn't get married until I was 28 because some of the guys you know that were married you know playing a ball and double a is a right. obviously it's an impossible life yeah, so yeah. um yeah just being able to have the confidence and, and be comfortable on the field and just knowing it's a journey and if you can just stick it out and that's what I did I mean I stuck it out I, most guys would have quit and mm. you know Sometimes I think I should have, but I'm like, shit, then I would have never made it. So if I had one coach tell me that as long as they'll give you that uniform, yep. make them take it off of you. If you want to, if you want to make it and have a shot, don't ever take it off until they take it from you. So that's kind of what I kept in my mind. And, mm. you know, I did and, and, and ended up getting two years in Cincinnati and going to Japan and, and playing with some unbelievable guys. And, you know, the stories I have and the people I met are what I remember most. Yeah. Now, you name-dropped earlier when you said Giambi and McGuire, and I just have to ask you, because you played, you know, professional baseball and you made the major leagues at a really interesting time. I think most of us watched the documentary with, with McGuire and Sosa and the home run chase, but you played during the steroid era. I'm just really curious, was it, was it the wild, wild west, like all the stories we hear? I mean, like, was it just like this wide-open thing where dudes are – because I – I'm one of the people, I'll tell you this, man. I'm one of the people, people ask, you know, do you believe that players from the steroid era should be in the Hall of Fame? And I'm like, well, you're putting the pitchers in there and you can't pick and choose guys. And I think, you know what, it's just an era of baseball. And I think the commissioner, everybody's commissioner, everybody should just embrace it, acknowledge it. I think Roger Clemens, Bond, I think they should all be in. You know what I mean? It is what it is. It happened, whatever. We got through it. Heck, it improved the popularity of the game, if you want to be honest. But like, what was that era of baseball like? Because, again, it was a lot different. It was something that eventually, you know, they, they, took, uh, they took action against. But, I mean, the home run numbers were going crazy. Again, guys like McGuire, Sosa, Bonds were coming on. Like, was it as crazy and wild and as wide open as the stories we hear about? No, absolutely not. I mean, it's, looking back on it, I mean, you, you see all that was going on. But at the time – all that every player was trying to do was get bigger, stronger, yeah. hit home runs and go to GNC and buy creatine and <laughs> you know, protein shakes. But, you know, it wasn't that people were – I never saw one guy shoot steroids, you know, in the locker room. Nobody ever talked about it much. Um, did a lot of guys take it? Yes. But I'm like, I agree with you that the problem is there was just as many pitchers that came back throwing 94 that were throwing 88 yeah. or had an injury and all of a sudden recovered quick, quicker you know, that are now in the Hall of Fame. And, and so it's too hard to pick and choose who took them, who didn't, because, I mean, I would probably say I'm a, I don't know, half, but it was a lot of guys. And you could tell some that would show up, you know, one one month and you know, they're a certain size. A month later, you know, they got some acne on their face and, yeah. you know, shoulders blown up. And, you know, and I think the biggest thing it did was help guys recover. I mean, mm. they got obviously stronger, but in a, in a you know, professional season, it's a lot of games. Your body gets worn down. And so it allowed them to recover and stay strong and, um, but no, it was all it was, you know, what, I, I guess there were illegal drugs, but it wasn't banned. They didn't talk. I mean, they're like, Hey, go get as strong as you can live in the weight room. And, you know, I got a picture when I signed with the A's, they took us to tour, uh, Oakland and McGuire was there and he had a shirt off with me. 
you know, after the game, and he was tall, lean, skinny. And then we all know how he turned out, you know, but all he was doing was what baseball told him to do. Yeah. Lift weights, get strong. Um, you know, nobody knew they were, you know, talking about taking steroids, but it was, uh, it's too hard to look at. I'm, I'm like you to say, you know, these guys should be in when they're definitely guys that are in there that took steroids. Mm. Um, but it was just part of the game, you know, getting big and strong and hitting home runs and, you know, but it wasn't something that like, Hey, let's go do steroids. It's, it's illegal, you know, but let's shoot up and, and cheat the game. Nobody was trying to cheat the game. I think everybody was just trying to be as good as they could get and be as strong as they can. And, um, but they were pitchers throwing to the hitters that were on them just as much. Yeah. I mean, chicks dig the long ball, man. And I, and I would say too, my argument always with like a guy like Barry Bonds is like, bro, if you can hit, you can hit. I mean, how many, how many home runs would that have taken away? I mean, come on. The guy can hit. It's the best hitter yeah, ever. Barry Bonds was a great hitter. You know, and if he happened to take him, which we all probably think he did, it just right. took him to another stratosphere right. where balls that were fly balls were flying, you know, 50 feet out of the stadium. But, <laughs> you know, like Ken Griffey Jr., if he would have taken him, he would probably have numbers way better than anybody else because he was always injured. And But, you know, he didn't take him. He didn't go in the weight room much. And, you know, and that's why I love watching him play because everything was just natural. But, yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was a different era, but it wasn't like Wild Wild West with guys in the locker room shooting up and you know right before you go out and hit bp yeah because they make it sound like that for sure no i hey. wish i would have taken my mind you know be a millionaire you know, <laughs> have, you know, for, a living. for sure um i, I do want to get back to you though dt because april 5th 2000 i'm sure that day stands out for you for you you made your professional debut with the cincinnati reds again after such a long process such a long grind going through the minors just talk about what that meant to you and what that day was like when you finally made your debut yeah, it's kind of fitting how I made my debut as we were in spring training, finishing up, and I'd got sent down to AAA like two days before the club broke for uh, the season. And so my wife and I had packed up our car in Sarasota with Ashlyn, who was about six or eight months old, and we were going to drive to Columbia and then drive to Louisville. I get a call on Sunday morning, come by the field, you know, come back by the complex, we need to talk to you. I'm like, shit, I didn't, you know, didn't have, I knew I wouldn't get released because you know, I was doing pretty well, but I didn't know what it was about. And they sat me down and said, I got some good news and bad news. And I was like, well, give me the bad news first. And I'm like, your wife's got to drive back home by herself because you got to go catch a flight to be in Cincinnati for opening day tomorrow at 12 o'clock. So I hopped on a plane, flew all day, got into Cincinnati at midnight and, you know, kind of had been around the guys in spring training a little bit, but didn't know too many of them. And, and I show up the next morning at like 8 o'clock there's Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Lark, Deion Sanders, you know, these guys that you've always watched and looked at, you know, and I'm suiting up going to play with them. And so it, it was surreal. And, and the first night I got up, I was going to pinch hit. And uh, my family, my wife drove to Columbia, got up, drove, caught a flight the next morning. My mom and dad were there, you know, left at five. So they were in the stands and got up to pinch hit. But the pitcher got out or something, so they double switched. I didn't hit, so I sat down. Next night, got back up to pinch hit, got OT real quick. Then Jimmy Haynes left a fastball over the plate, smoked the line, drive center field. And, you know, I got video of it, got the ball. And it was a, you know, I stood on first base, just kind of looking around and it just set in that, you know, 50,000 people and, you know, you put your first major league hit up on the screen. And, you know, it was really, really neat. And um, that those whole two years were a neat experience. It was mentally draining because I was a guy that, you know, Sean Casey broke his hand. That's how I got called up the day before. They were doing an exhibition game in Chattanooga, took a ball off the wrist, broke his hand, so they had to call me up. And I hit 400 for about the first month. 
as soon as Sean Casey came back, I was back in AAA. Mm. And so that was the tough part is knowing when you're back there that you've got to keep producing, Yeah, you know, in case somebody else goes down. And so I think that year I went up and down five times or so. Mm. Um, and, but it was, uh, it was well worth it. That's why I tell any kid that's playing now, hey, if that's your dream, make them take the uniform off of you because I got some balls and bats over there that memories of things that happened to me that should have, I would have never dreamed of by just, you know, riding buses for, you know, all night long you know, 12 hours, you know, the minor leagues. And then all of a sudden, you you know, you realize you made it. It was well worth it. Yeah. And like I said, again, I mean, make them take the uni off you. And you certainly did that. And again, 85 games at the professional level, at the major league level, I should say, with the uh, with the Reds, 308 average, seven homers, 20 RBIs. Again, you more than held your own. Um, again, all the memories, the people you meet and everything, you know, I know those are the things that stand out the most, but you know, from those 85 games, I guess, your biggest takeaways from just being a major league baseball player, I guess, lessons you learned from that that you, can, that you took with you into life and, and that you applied to your daily life. I mean, like I said, I know the memories from the people you meet is probably what stands out the most, but just other things, I guess, for you that you really jump, jump to the forefront when you think about your major league career. Um, I think number one is realizing that people, people are all the same pretty much. You know, that whether you're Griffey Jr. or Deion Sanders, you know, they're getting heckled. Their wives are getting heckled in the stands, you know, and then that stuff bothers them. And, and just watching how they're just normal people. They want to be happy. They want to be liked. And, they're, you know, and, and I was a guy. I got along with pretty much anybody. So that was my biggest takeaway on that side of it. Baseball and professional-wise, it was that it was a business that, yeah. you know, when those guys showed up, that was their livelihood. And if you come to take their job, they ain't going to put up with it. They go fight and do whatever they have to, to keep their job. And so that's probably the toughest part. What it was getting there, but it was staying there and then cracking in the lineup and, and watching these guys, you know, for 162 games, you know, seven o'clock games show up every day at 12 o'clock with a cup of coffee and a greenie and, and popping it in and saying, let's go and going to work every day and doing what it takes, you know, individually, because baseball is a team sport, it's an individual sport. You step yeah. on the field in the box, it's you and the pitcher. Mm. And, and watching these guys, how they went about their work and how they, you know, bounce back from bad games. And then watching how some of the greatest players ever just go through a slump and, and just struggle mentally, knowing it happens to, to everybody. So, you know, baseball, that, that was probably the, the biggest thing I took away on the field was mm. how serious and how much it meant to these guys and the work they put in. Now, DT, let's switch back to the Gamecock side of things because current day South Carolina baseball, it's obviously very interesting. Your son is a player on the team. Um, yeah, DT Jr. obviously being on Mark Kingston's squad this year. And, of course, we're talking on Sunday after South Carolina just beat Vandy. So, as I joked off air, um, at least we, we all have positive vibes right now after right. a tough, tough little losing streak. But I guess for you personally, you know, obviously the, the things have changed so much. Again, the landscape of Carolina baseball, how recruiting works. I mean, social media, literally everything has changed. But for you personally, how cool was it to see your son go through that process? And again, you already have, you know, generations of Cromers that have gone to South Carolina and done great things and, and been involved and been Gamecocks and stuff like that. And to see him get that opportunity, again, go through that recruiting process and commit to South Carolina and sign with South Carolina. And again, he's there right now, obviously going through the, you know, things you go through as a freshman and getting acclimated and trying to get play in time and break the starting lineup and all that stuff. But I guess for you personally to watch that, you know, be there with him alongside him during that process, how, how cool has that been for you? It's been really neat. I mean, like you said, through the whole process of 
you know, getting recruited and, and knowing that was his dream and then finally moving him in the dorm. And, and you know, then it became, hey, man, it's time to go to work. Right. And, you know, this year more than others, you know, with COVID and the, the rosters being expanded, you know, he knew going into it, it was tough. You know, it could be tough to crack the lineup as a freshman. Um, in the outfield, they got some really good players. And so I just keep, you know, stressing to him, hey, man, this is going to go by fast. I mean, so work your butt off every day and enjoy it. But, uh, you know, don't take anything for granted because he's got a lot of work to do. Um, South Carolina's got a really good team. They got some really good outfielders. And But to, like we saw this weekend and last, to hit in college baseball now, you better be darn good because the pitching is so good. But it's been a really neat experience. You know, I got a daughter there, the cheers, and getting to go to her apartment before the games, walk me you know, right over to the games, you know, with my wife and my other daughter. It's And seeing him just in uniform, even though he hadn't set foot on the field, He's having a blast. He loves all of his teammates, the coaches, and, you know, just seeing, you know, Chrome on the back of his jersey and watching him have fun as a good teammate makes me happy as a dad more just as much as if he's starting the lineup. I mean, obviously, we want to play and, you know, hit home runs and help the team win. But, you know, just being over there, being a good teammate helps you learn and grow. And I told him, if you, you know, you keep working, your time will come. Um, but it is a lot of fun. I mean, we're game cops through and through. We go to you know, all the football games and now to – I probably watch more baseball this year at Carolina than I have in 20 something years, but it's been fun. They got a great group of kids over there. Uh, and I think that's why they're going to be successful because, you know, the, the guys at the top that are leading that team are really good kids that nobody's going to outwork. I'm about to say he's, he's rocking pops number too, right? The 31. Isn't he rocking that? That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope he asked for it, but yeah, 31. And, <laughs> uh, so it's, yeah, it's good to see on the back of his jersey. I mean, it brings back memories and, yeah, you know, it doesn't seem like about 30 years ago. Turned 50 yet, 50 on Friday, so you know it's, it seems like yesterday. But gosh, yeah, seeing 31 and Chrome on the back of Jersey's knee. Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to get your take too on again. Just the we're talking about Carolina baseball and this team, and I, I think you can give great perspective and analysis on this because you harped so much on the mental side of the game. And I, I, it's funny. I think I might've read the same book you did, the mental ABCs of baseball. And I know I read the mental ABCs of pitching, but uh, we all know the game is so mental. I mean, I, and I think you're seeing that from this baseball team. Again, I try to tell people in the game of baseball, it's inevitable. You're going to run into adversity. You're going to run into, you know, obstacles and things aren't going to go your way. And you feel like the baseball gods are against you. And I feel like we've seen that the last two weekends and that, that six-game losing streak, and I think maybe we saw things sort of turn the other way in a game that happened, you know, today in Nashville when you finally get the win and stuff like that. But like you said, I agree with you. I think this is a really high-quality baseball team, but it's about overcoming the obstacles and staying strong mentally. And I will say, I think that's the characteristic and the trait that this team at least has shown early to me that they do have, which makes me feel good about them going forward. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I've watched them more this year through the fall and the spring, and and they've got some really good bats. And, you know, in the arms they have, you know, the freshman class, you know, it comes down to pitching. Hitting is going to come and go. You know, yeah. West Clark, the first two weeks was unreal. I mean, you know, you, it, but you have to just know we can't go like that the whole season. So you cool off a little bit, just kind of maintain, get a few hits, pop a couple out. Then you get hot again, you know, and that's going to happen in hitting with the SEC and the level they're playing at. The pitching is unreal. And last week, I, we hit the ball as hard as Texas did probably. Just lined out, didn't get the hits, you know, when we needed the big hit. But that's that's going to happen. And this weekend, when you face the Friday and Saturday guy from Vanderbilt, I mean, you just go up there and battle. And it don't matter what kind of approach you have, 
those guys were on, you, you know, it's going to be tough to hit. But today, like you said, to go in there, get down, Brett Carey was unbelievable to come up and, and do what he did on the mound. And, you know, Brady Allen, you know, he's probably the best leadoff hitter in baseball. Um, Wimmer, you know, Wimmer's just an athlete and they had big games. And But then West gets a sack fly. Not a whole lot said about it, but, you know, yeah, we wanted to hit a home run there, but you punch out, we're in trouble. So for yeah. him to get that run in um, is a lot. And then we got guys like Andrew Eister and uh, Malone, you know, that we know can hit. They flat out have hit their whole life. And Malone struggled all year. But, you know, that's why, you know, I tell the kid, Jamie, just keep going there swinging. It's going, you know, it's going to come back. You know, you, it's, you've hit your whole life. And Eister, you know, what he did against Clemson, you know, that, that'll get him through the whole year as far as I'm concerned, as far as he got those two big hits. But he's going to get back hot. He got a big sack fly today. So um, that, I think the team has got what it takes. The pitching is strong. But, like, you know, with, with the way college baseball is now, you know, the years we won the World Series here, you know, we had some lucky breaks, which you can create your own luck and all. But, you know, those teams got some things that happened for them that, that every team has to have happen if you're going to go all the way and, and get deep into a World Series. This Because baseball is, it's a mental game. But, you know, you get some breaks, you don't. But, you know, I think today is going to carry us through and to Citadel and then Florida comes to town. I think that's a big – they're all big. But you want to get that momentum, continue it going. You don't want to have a day like today – and Citadel roll in and, you know, and, and, you know, some, you know, go wrong there, the Florida. So if you can keep the momentum right. going, you know, the talent's there. Um, one through nine, you know, shortstop, Khalil. I mean, his glove is so good. You know, you got to keep him in there. And he's been battling, getting a few hits. And um, that's baseball. You don't know what could happen. This team could go all the way or, you know, and, and that's why I enjoy it because you don't know what's going to happen. You can show up with the best attitude, the best approach, had the worst day of your life, and ain't nothing you do about it. Yeah, yep. amazing, beautiful, stupid game indeed. Yep. <laughs> That's the best way it to is. put it. That's the best way to put yep. it. DT, this has been a blast, man. I appreciate you taking the time. It's been awesome. Last thing before I get you out of here, um, I want to ask you a question about your professional career. Most memorable at bat at the major league level. Do you remember – is there one that stands out? Guy you were facing – uh, whether he got you, you got him. Was there like a was there just a moment overall, I guess, in your pro career where you kind of mentioned like you? I imagine it's a surreal moment when you run into like Ken Griffey Jr. and you're like, wow. I mean, this is you know he's a goat. You know he's a goat. Obviously, what he did. Uh, was there a guy you faced though that like you just just stands out to you? Uh, probably Kerry Wood. Kerry Wood with the Cubs because we came up in the minor leagues and I was a little bit older. He was a young buck, but. I watched him in spring training one year when he was probably 19 or 20, face the A's when they had Ricky Henderson, Kaseko, McGuire, and I think he struck out 22 or 23. <laughs> and so whenever I faced him and he was healthy, his fastball was 96, 97, but had a curveball 12 to 6. It was unhittable. Um, and, and he's one I face a lot. But for me as a pinch hitter in the major leagues, I faced a guy seemed like every other night, Rob Men for the Giants. Mm -hmm. And, yep. you know, because I would pinch you coming late in the game and he would come in to close it. The guy throws 99 to 100. And I think all I ever saw were 90 mile an hour sliders. Never touched one. And so, you know, I think, you know, John Smolt. I mean, there's a lot of guys, but probably Rob Nen and, and Kerry Wood, you know, are probably two of the most that I faced the most that I remember, um, you know, facing that I was just like, man, you know, if you just swing the bat, pray you hit it. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, but when you see, you know, the hard part for me was I was a pinch hitter. I started a few games, but 
you know, so if you ever watch somebody come to the pinch hit, don't be too hard on them because it's the hardest thing to do in the world because for some reason, when you step in that situation, everything's moving a million miles an hour and, and the ball's jumping up and it's just tough. And so, um, but my career, I mean, I think the first home run I hit in Colorado against the Rockies was, you know, we were behind and it was two runs on, hit a home run. And, and that day, Junior hit number 400. So on ESPN that night, they were showing my little first home run. And then here comes Ken Griffey Jr. hitting number 400. And then after the game, we went to Monday Night Raw and got to meet Diamond Dallas Page and Ric Flair and, you know, Hulk Hogan. And so that, you know, all that tied together to that first home run is funny. I mean, that's the stuff you remember. Yeah. Don't remember much else about the game, but, um, you know, it's just unique stuff like that that kind of sticks with you. Speaking of velocity, by the way, and how much college baseball has changed, I mean, how, is, how absurd was it watching Vanderbilt rocker and lighter? I mean, it, it's a, the fact that there are two guys like that on a college baseball team, it's just not fair. I, I, it's just wild. It's wild that college baseball has gotten to that point. I'll say that. It really is. You know, we talk about this a lot, that back when we played, if a guy came in throwing 90 or 92, well, I mean, these guys got this guy, he's a dude, you know, you know <laughs> we better scratch out a run, but everybody they throw out there now is, you know, mid to upper nineties and to have two guys like that, you know, who you will, you know, never be a first two picks of the draft and be stars in the major leagues. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I know the, the technology is a little better where it probably picks speed up a little quicker, right. a couple miles an hour, but to watch guys pitch, not just throw that hard, but be able to pitch and throw strikes and, right. and locate it's uh I'm glad, I, I tell people, I'm glad I don't have to hit in this day and time. <laughs> these, guys, these guys are good. Yeah. And Carolina's sure. got a whole bunch of them. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. the guy far and, you know, the ones we throw out there and the freshman arms we, we've thrown out there. I mean, they they got they got some dudes that I think a, a lot of them pitch on, uh, you know, pitch at the next level. Yeah. No, it's, it's fun to watch for sure. Well, DT, man, like I said, this has been a pleasure. Um, obviously reflecting on your career, college and professional, and uh, going to be a lot of fun to follow your son's career and this Carolina baseball team this season. But, uh, you know, really appreciate you taking the time. Let's definitely do it again soon, for sure. Thank you so much. Chris, appreciate you having me. Take care, man. Absolutely. He's DT right. Cromer. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next another episode of the Spurs Up Show.